We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Two guests on the show today. Chris Miller from NBC Sports Washington. He's covered the Wizards for years, been a part of the Wizards broadcast for years. I love Chris. He's one of my favorite people uh, in local sports media. Chris is going to join me. We'll talk about the Wizards' incredible 4-1 start and their win last night over the Atlanta Hawks, minus two players. Mark Rippon will be a guest on the show today. We will talk to Rip about the 91 team. I mentioned the other day that this was one of the biggest regular season games 30 years ago this week against the Giants in the Meadowlands. We'll talk about that. We'll also get Rip's feelings on the team this year. So Mark Rippon coming up uh, as well. Uh, We start the show with the game last night. High snap again. End zone and picked off! Intercepted by Rasul Douglas! And the Packers are going to win it! A.J. Green was the target, and he never looked for the ball. What was A.J. Green thinking on that last play? Oh, my God. What a game last night between Arizona and Green Bay. So much for Thursday night football sucks. Last night's game was a gem. First of all, you had the whole issue of Green Bay coming into the game minus all of those players and even a coach. Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, COVID-19, out. Uh, Of course, we knew about Devontae Adams, COVID, out. Lazard, COVID, out. Uh, uh, Valdez Scantling, not available, coming back to play. It was Aaron Rodgers, his starting running backs, and a bunch of receivers, in addition to Randall Cobb, that you haven't paid too much attention to. Could they go into Arizona, who was without J.J. Watt, and did have DeAndre Hopkins not at 100%, and it turned out that Hopkins did not play in a significant portion of the game. But could Green Bay go in there uh, and end the Cardinals' uh, run uh, of seven straight wins to start the season? You know, right before the game, I actually did like Green Bay. I didn't give them out on the podcast, and you can doubt me all you want. Uh, Over the years, I've certainly told you about the games that I liked that didn't turn out well. Um, But for whatever reason, I'm just sitting there going, Aaron Rodgers is going to figure it out. And the truth is, Aaron Rodgers figured it out, but really, Matt LaFleur figured it out. 
Uh, they ran the football. They ran the hell out of the football. A.J. Dillon is one of my favorite young backs that is not, you know, a full-time back. I loved him when he came out from Boston College. To me, he is a poor man's version of Derrick Henry. He's 250 pounds, has great feet, great vision, great power. He went 16 for 78 last night. Aaron Jones, 15 for 59. The two of them combined 31 carries for 137 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones was also the leading pass receiver for the Packers. You knew Jones and Dillon were going to have to be a big part of Matt LaFleur's game plan, and they were. Aaron Rodgers did throw the ball 37 times. They ran it 34 as a team, so 71 combined plays near almost perfect balance. But Rodgers completed 22 of those 37, many of them very short throws, screens, bubbles, you know, hitches, um, for 184 yards. That was it, 22 out of 37 for 184 yards, Two touchdown passes, both of them to Randall Cobb. One of them, a sick throw uh, by Rodgers that fitted it in uh, perfectly between uh, Defender and Cobb's hands. Um, But the Packers did an incredible job of dominating time of possession Um, holding on to the football. They ran 71 offensive plays to just 54 for Arizona. They had a 37-and-a-half-minute to 22-and-a-half-minute time of possession advantage. They averaged just 4.7 yards per play, um, but they were 6 of 14 on third down and 2 of 4 on fourth down. Now, their last fourth down opportunity that they missed created a wild finish, which I will get to here momentarily. But I start with last night's game by saying incredible game plan by Matt LaFleur and great execution by Aaron Rodgers, the backs, um, and you know that offensive line to a certain degree because, man, one of the things that stuck out in watching Arizona for the first time start to finish is just how fast they are. What incredible team speed they have on both sides of the ball. Uh, and uh, Rodgers was certainly under duress, but because he's so good, the ball's coming out quickly. He's avoiding uh, you know, the pressure, avoiding the sacks. Took a couple of big hits. There's a meme going around on one of them, which was a t- one of the touchdown throws to Cobb. Um, but r- phenomenal game plan, phenomenal execution of the game plan by Green Bay, uh, and um, a great job. Uh, against a team that has exceptional team speed on both sides of the ball. Now, a couple of things that stuck out in addition to that from the game last night, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this game because it really was a great football game. Kyler Murray, to me, I love him. I wish I had him as my quarterback on our team here. But to me right now and watching that team last night, it's one game. He's going to be the reason that they don't advance deep into the playoffs, certainly not to the Super Bowl, in my opinion. I don't think that they're a Super Bowl team. Now, if they rack up a really good record, 12, 13 wins, and somehow get the one seed and they're playing at home, you know, they might be tough to beat at home. Kyler Murray makes a lot of good plays, a lot of winning plays. When you pressure him and you pressure and are able to contain him, He goes backwards, and bad plays happen. Two interceptions last night, 
couple of sacks, couple of near turnovers on fumbles. I think he had one or two fumbles last night. Uh, Arizona, and I looked this up this morning because I said this this morning, and my producer, Brendan Darr, on radio said, yeah, I don't think that you know they've got much of a fumbling problem or a snap problem. There was a snap that he couldn't handle. Well, Arizona led the league in actual fumbles coming into week seven, which would have been last week. I'd have to go to see uh, what they did last week. Um, but I found this. Somebody sent this to me. and uh, But they also had recovered 11 of their 12 fumbles through six weeks, which is an incredible stat, right? There is a lot of luck when you're on a roll, and sometimes the ball bounces your way, and it literally has bounced their way this year. Um, in the form of 12 fumbles. Now, here are, the, here are the numbers from last week. So they had another two fumbles last week, um, and they recovered both of them. So they had 14 fumbles and had recovered 13 of them coming into the game last night. You know, will that hold up? I don't know. Many of the fumbles from the quarterback who had eight of those fumbles uh, coming in or seven of those uh, 14 fumbles coming into the game. Some of them, three of them coming into the game on snaps, on errant snaps. They had one last night. Now, he recovered it, but it was a big loss. And I think the other thing that Kyler Murray has an issue with, when he is pressured, and he is a smaller guy, and he is a faster guy than Russell Wilson for sure, but I don't know if he's – and maybe he will two, three years from now. I don't think he has the same feel for, you know, turning a play uh, that really looks horrible into a great play as consistently as Wilson does. He does it. Murray does it. I'm not telling you that Murray doesn't create incredible plays off of plays that look like they're about to go wrong. But there are some of those plays that go wrong. Last night uh, was one of those examples. And I just think as you watch him with his size and he gets pressured and he's not able to get outside of the pocket, he goes backwards. He doesn't step up. I think Kyler Murray's the reason, along with all of their team speed and good players, but a big reason why why they will win 12 13 games and be in the postseason and win a game, I don't know, maybe two, but I also think he is the reason that they will end up losing a playoff game and not advancing to a Super Bowl. This year doesn't mean in year three of his career that he won't get better and better because he's already improved significantly over the first two years. Um, So real quickly, uh, oh, I wanted to mention one other player. God, I love Rondell Moore from Purdue as a rookie you you just see a superstar and one of the real difficult checks in the league coming Tyreek Hill-esque he is so fast he is so quick he's got such great vision Rondell Moore is going to be a big star in this league but they've got so many of them right you know they've got DeAndre Hopkins they've got Christian Kirk they've got Chase Edmonds who's also got incredible speed and playmaking ability they've got the quarterback They, they got everything you know um, I, but they didn't have enough last night to beat Green Bay. The end of this game, netting it out, is Green Bay up 24-21 on a drive that's going to put this game away late. They've got first and goal on, uh, on the Arizona 1-yard line uh, with four and a half minutes to go. Aaron Jones apparently scores. It's ruled a touchdown, and then it's overturned because it was clear that his butt was down 
um, and that more likely than not, the ball had not crossed the goal line. But there was not conclusive video evidence that proved that. I was surprised that got overturned, even though I thought, based on watching all the different angles, that more likely than not, he was down short of the goal line. But they've been sticking with the call in the booth primarily this year. Um, But in this case, they didn't. They overturned it, and they had a second and goal at the one. Green Bay didn't have any timeouts at this point. Second and goal from the one, Aaron Jones was stopped short of the goal line. Third and goal from the one, uh, they had alignment issues, and with no timeouts left, they took a five-yard delay a game penalty. Third down and six, or uh, third down and goal from the six, Aaron Rodgers makes a run for the end zone, where, by the way, there wasn't any concession before he tried to score, but he got stopped about a half yard short. Fourth and goal, half yard line, up 24-21 with about three minutes to go, three and a half minutes to go, something like that. They went for it, which they should have. You know, if they kick the field goal and they're up, you know, 27-21, they're going to give Arizona good field position and, you know, plenty of time. So they went for it, trying to put the game away. Worst case, Arizona's, you know, starting from inside their half yard line. Uh, even though they would only need a field goal to tie. Aaron Rodgers has a pass batted down by Kennard. Arizona takes over. Arizona's final drive, third and 10, and Murray completes a big one to A.J. Green. He had a second and 18 play after he fumbled a snap and aborted it, and they're back at the Green Bay 40. He throws to Chase Edmonds, and you see the speed uh, and the playmaking ability of Chase Edmonds. Uh, and he makes a big play, and now they are knocking on the door of potentially a winning touchdown and, worst case, a game-tying, overtime-forcing field goal. They had it first and 10 at the Green Bay 18. They eventually had a first and goal at the Green Bay 8, and on second and goal at the Green Bay 5, Kyler Murray throws a ball into the end zone. They didn't have any timeouts, so they couldn't run the football there. For A.J. Green, who was matched up man-to-man with Rasul Douglas, who they just signed four weeks ago, who was in Arizona. And A.J. Green doesn't turn around. He's actually watching the video board of the play as he's running into the end zone. And Rasul Douglas gets a hand on it, flips it up, intercepts the ball, game over. What was A.J. Green doing on that play? Well, Cliff Kingsbury said... They got exactly what they wanted. They got A.J. Green man coverage against Rasul Douglas. Second and goal at the Green Bay six-yard line. 16 seconds left. They're going to take two more shots to the end zone, and then then they're going to kick the field goal to force overtime if they don't score a touchdown. And they get exactly what they want. He did indicate that it was an audible, it was a check, and that clearly A.J. Green didn't get the check. But still, why would you run – without ever looking back. It's not a running play. You're not blocking. You're not going to run the ball with no timeouts in 16 seconds. Michael Irvin ripped into him on the NFL Network afterwards. He's like, whether the play's called for you or not, you've got to expect the ball in that situation. You're not running the football. The ball is going into the end zone. You have to think in that position you are getting the ball. A.J. Green was watching the video scoreboard of the play. Never turned around the ball gets intercepted. If he turns around, it's likely a touchdown, worst case, incomplete pass. Crazy ending to a great football game in late October between two teams that are now 7-1. and one. And Adam Schefter tweeted this out after the game. 
the uh, Cowboys, Packers, Buccaneers, Cardinals, and Rams. Five teams in the NFC with one loss. Those five teams have the best records in the entirety of the NFL. There's not one AFC team that doesn't have at least two losses. First time since the NFL merger in 1970 that the five best records in the NFL have resided in one conference. And that leads me to this. The NFC right now, um, you know, we're not even at the halfway mark. Okay, the halfway mark now is halfway through the ninth game of the season. You know, several teams have played eight games. Some teams are about to play their seventh game with, you know, the buy because they've already had buys. But right now, as you look at the NFC, you would say that those five one-loss teams are pretty good bets to make the postseason, either as a division champion or as a wild card. One of them would make the wild card of the five. Um, and right now, the Rams and the Cardinals both have one loss atop the NFC West. Well, there are seven teams that make the playoffs from each conference. So that leaves two more spots for NFC teams. If Washington wins Sunday in Denver, just bear with me here. I'm not suggesting that they're going to make the playoffs. I do not think they're a playoff team. I'm not doing the Kevin Sheehan playoff scenario thing, you know, here on October 29th. I doubt I'll have to break that out at all this year. I personally think this is going to be a team that wins four or five games, six tops. But if they win against a team that they can win against on Sunday, they would be three and five and potentially late Sunday night, only a half game out of the last wild card spot. Right now, and I'm not doing you know Washington playoff scenarios, but I am and consider and fancy myself to be a bit of a playoff, you know, uh, a mathematical playoff formula guy um, that follows this and is always trying to figure out how teams, especially teams that are on the border of making it or not making it, can make it or could get knocked out. Right now, your sixth seed is New Orleans at four and two. Your seventh seed is Minnesota at three and three. And tied for the seventh seed, they just would lose the tiebreaker right now, are the Atlanta Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. These are the kinds of teams that you're, we're going to be talking about for playoff spots number six and seven in the NFC. Unless Seattle gets Russell Wilson back and all of a sudden they make a run. But they're terrible on defense. If all of a sudden, you know, Trey Lance becomes the answer in San Francisco – but they appear to have major issues offensively. And by the way, there are injuries, including Trent Williams. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the Carolina Panthers have a great defense. They are really struggling offensively at quarterback in particular. The Bears are 3-4. and four. They look headed in the opposite direction. And Matt Nagy looks like he will be the first coach fired either during the season or at the end of the season. Maybe not the first, but he's not going to be back next year. The teams that we're going to be talking about for the playoff spots are teams like Minnesota, Atlanta, New Orleans, I don't know, maybe Seattle, and maybe a team that gets on a bit of a roll and can figure out a way to win eight games out of the NFC East. Okay, enough of that. Uh, Washington beats Denver if. So I've got a couple of things 
um, with the keys to the game for Sunday. Uh, first of all, let me just say that this is a big game for them. I talked to Ron Rivera a little bit about that. He was on the radio show with me. I record it on Thursdays uh, right here in our podcast and radio studio and uh, run it Friday mornings at 8 on the Team 980. And if you want to listen to it, you can go listen to it at theteam980.com or I tweet it out typically, um, the uh, podcast of that interview on Fridays. Uh, You can also get it by downloading the Odyssey app. Um, But... um, this is this is the season for Washington right here. This is when I say the season. This is either the end of the legitimate competitive portion of the season or a chance to keep hope alive that you can have a competitive season. A season where, you know, you get to mid-November, late November, early December and there's some games there that are like, "Hey, if we win these games, you know, we got we 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 got a shot maybe at the seven seed. Um, this is the game though, because this is the game that you know many of you believe sh- is a should win situation. <clears throat> I don't personally believe that this is a should win situation. I think it's a could win situation. I think it is it is definitely a situation for the defense where they could actually get right. This is the first get-right offensive opponent they have faced where the defense could statistically you know, put together their best game of the year in addition to what we've said here recently, which is they've played a little bit better. You know, The numbers don't really bear that out. It's kind of embarrassing to say that you've given up 17 of 28 on third down the last two weeks. You gave up 500 yards to the Chiefs. Uh, and yet you feel like the defense is playing better, but that's where we are. You know, the comparatively to the first five games, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, so where, uh, so this is, I think a get right opportunity for, um, I do for the, um, for the defense, Teddy Bridgewater has turned the ball over uh, seven, uh, five times and been sacked nine times in the last three games. So th- he's not healthy. He's not great. They're getting Jerry Judy back, but they have struggled offensively. So Washington beats Denver if – I will start with this. It's a get-right defensive game that they turn Teddy over, they make Teddy uncomfortable – and they really have the first game of the year that reminds us of what we thought over the summer and during the offseason that this defense has a chance and has, you know, had a chance to become a really good defense. This is similar to some of the games they played at the end of last year. Struggling offensive teams, some banged up situations injury-wise. They should have their best day. If if Denver ends up with a 5-for-10 third down day or a 4-for-9, a I mean, that's less than 50%, but still 4-for-9 or a 5-for-9. or a, it, it, This should be a 2-for-10, 2-for-12, 3-for-11 third down day for this defense. This should be a get-right game for the defense. So to, to beat Denver, the defense has to have its best day, both statistically and visually. You know, uh, when we're watching the game, we understand that they are carrying the team and they are dominating the other team. That's number one. Number two, 
They've got to stay balanced on offense. And I don't say this all the time because I've said many times, I don't and I'm not a believer in this, you know, NFL that you've got to be a balanced team, that you've got to establish the run. It's not the way I think anymore. I'm, I never have any problem with the team that throws it 40 times and runs it, you know, 45 times and runs it 10 times because that's the way they know they can move the chains, keep possession of the ball, and eventually score points. But I think this is an opportunity this week to run the football. I thought it was last week as well, and they did a pretty good job running the football. And obviously the quarterback produced the significant uh, you know, yards rushing the football last week with 10 carries, 95 yards, most of those scrambles. But I want to see Gibson if he's healthy enough. I want to see Patterson and McKissick. I want to see 20 carries from the backs. you know, And then you can throw in another 7, 8, 9 from the quarterback And I want them in the general area of 28 to 30 rushes in the game. I mean, this guy, Dearnest Johnson with Cleveland in Denver's last game a week ago Thursday night, had 146 yards on 22 carries. He was the third string back behind, you know, Chubb and Hunt. Uh, Najee Harris had the best day he's had as a pro against Denver three weeks ago. 23 carries, 122 yards. I think also staying balanced just keeps the pressure off Taylor Heineke. I don't want the pressure put on Taylor Heineke unless he's going to play the way he played last week. And that is, he did not have a great game, but he had more of a Taylor Heineke game. If Taylor Heineke is going to have a C, C plus, C minus kind of game, I want it to be him doing what he does comfortably and what he does well and that is using his legs to make plays outside the pocket by throwing the football or by running it. So that's another key to the game Sunday. Taylor Heineke's not going to beat you from the pocket. He's just not. Not, He's not going to do it more often than not. Can he distribute the ball? He can. Is Scott Turner scheming some people open? He has. But Taylor Heineke also, when he hits receivers, typically doesn't give him enough of a, enough of an opportunity to get yards after catch. They're high. His receivers have bailed him out on some of those catches. We got to get Taylor Heineke Sunday playing the way he attempted to play in Green Bay, like Taylor Heineke. Um, lastly, this is a game which it seems like it should be low scoring. Um, of course, whenever you think that, and everybody's picking 16-13 and 13-10 and 17-14 and 17-16, it'll probably end up being 28-27 or 31-30. to But whatever. I think this has you know the potential to be a lower-scoring game. It's also the first game they've played in a couple of weeks where they don't have to have the mindset, we have to score touchdowns, we can't kick field goals. Of course you want to score touchdowns. But they don't have to be as hyper-aggressive on fourth down as they've been. You know, in the Kansas City game, um, you know, they, they, they were more aggressive in thinking, uh, we've got to get touchdowns. Last week, obviously, was the perfect example. 0 for 4 in the red zone last week and 1 for 4 on fourth down. You know, you, you, you don't have to do that this week. You've got to kick field goals if you aren't successful on third down and you're facing fourth or four or longer. 
unless you really feel like you got the right play. But I don't want to see three trips, three of the four trips into the red zone on Sunday, and you come away with nothing, not even field goals. Field goals will help this week. Touchdowns help more. I understand that. But I don't want to see a game of moving the ball between the 20s and into first and goal situations and 400-plus yards of offense and 10 points. You know, last week, if you, if you play this out, I'm not saying that they win the game, and my, my feeling all along was that if Aaron Rodgers really needed to turn it on, that he would have had they needed to score more than 24. But first half, they have a field goal blocked. Uh, two drives later, fourth and three at the Green Bay 27 in a 7-7 game, they could have taken a 10-7 lead. I understand the mindset against Green Bay. We need touchdowns. But that's not the mindset against Denver. Shouldn't be. You won them, but you need points. But in that Green Bay game, that would have given them a 10-7 lead. Uh, then you had the the uh, infamous you know, uh, Taylor Heineke giving himself up and then the fourth and one. Look, you're going to go for that fourth and one situation more times than not, even if you're not just trying to score touchdowns. But if they had kicked a field goal, it's 21 to 10 there. And then on their next drive, when they had fourth and two at the Green Bay three, if they kicked the field goal, it's 21 to 13 there. And then you've got the ball back down eight potentially. I'm not, I, I'm not disagreeing with with the moves last week. You needed to score touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers was going to get aggressive and probably put up more points. Um, and I have no issue with what they did last week. This week, however. Fourth and fours, fourth and fives, fourth and twos. You got to come away with points. Chris Blewett's going to be a big factor. You're kicking in Denver. So if you're at their 35 yard line and it's a 53 yarder, kick it. You've already told us that he's got a powerful leg. So you're in Denver this week. Don't pass on those for fourth and fours or fourth and fives where if Von Miller's playing. He's coming off the edge, and he's going to destroy it and, and, and mess up a play, and you took three points off the board. I hate talking that way about, you know, take the three, but this is the kind of game and the kind of opponent. If you're going to win the game, you can't end up, you know, moving the football, getting into the red zone, and coming away with a one-for-four red zone day, you know, or a two-for-five red zone day, or a one-for-three red zone day. You know, on touchdowns and and the other two instances, no points at all. You got to come away with points. Every point's going to matter in this one. It should. All right. Uh, my prediction on the game Sunday: twenty three twenty one Denver. No result in this one is going to surprise me. I don't have a really good feel for this one. And if I knew today for sure that Von Miller isn't going to play, I'd probably lean Washington 23-21. He's obviously a critical player uh, in this game because he can truly wreck a game by himself. I mean, he is the player on the field that if he's healthy will be the best player on the field uh, on Sunday. Um, But I just feel that Denver is as desperate, maybe even more so than Washington. They've had a longer 
rest period coming off that mini buy, um, playing the Browns a week ago Thursday night. They're looking at this game at home as an opportunity to win, to get back to 500, to snap a four-game losing streak, to get back to 500 in a division, by the way, that doesn't include, you know, a juggernaut team like the last few years in the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they still play the Chiefs again. They still play the Broncos again. They play the Chiefs twice. They play the Broncos again. They still play the Chargers twice. They still have a lot ahead of them in the division, like Washington, I'm sure, feels they do as well. But Denver gets to 500 with this win. I don't know. I I, I also think that Denver's a well-coached team. I'm a big Vic Fangio fan. I always have been. I think they really will scheme things up defensively um, against a young quarterback. Uh, you know, I talked to Rivera this morning um, about Fangio. He's got a lot of respect for Fangio. I think a lot of people do in the league. A lot of really good offensive coordinators and good quarterbacks have been flummoxed by Vic Fangio's defenses in the past. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they struggle a little bit um, on offense, especially if Von Miller is healthy. But then again, as I said, I think this could be a get-right game for the defense. But I guess for those reasons, longer layoff, they're at home. I think they're well-coached. If Von Miller plays, Denver 23-21. to All right, before we get to Chris Miller, let's get my smell test in uh, for the week. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell smell test. My picks, uh, a.k.a. the smell test, is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and MyBookie will instantly double your first deposit. That's promo code, KevinDC. You'll double your first deposit. Put in 500 bucks. You'll have 1000 in your account to wager with. They're also offering this, a lock tonight with MyBookie. You can place a bet on either team to score tonight between the Mavericks and the Nuggets in an NBA game. And when the first bucket goes in, the first shot goes in, you win. All they have to do is score. Let me put it like this. The NBA has never had a game go scoreless. So this is a true lock. It doesn't get any easier. Jokic, Doncic on the floor going head-to-head tonight. It won't take more than a minute of this game for your bet to cash. That's not all. After you get paid tonight, wake up tomorrow and throw down on UFC 267. On Saturday night, my bookie is giving all users a $100 risk-free wager. Uh, That would be a risk-free wager on the light heavyweight championship main event fight. Of course, they've got all the football as well. Don't wait. Head to mybookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC. If there's something already written in the promo code, erase it. Put Kevin DC. They'll double your funds when you make your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, this smell test is not doing well this year. Uh, you know, there's plenty of time, though. Uh, I've said that the last few weeks. Last week was a step back week after, I think, three weeks of 500 um, smell test picks. Last week, two and six, and some of them weren't even close. Uh, 34, 45, and 4 on the year. 11 games under 500. 11 units, uh, down 11 units. And with the VIG, I know what that means. Look, I'm hurting too. And to be honest with you, 
if I had been giving out all of my picks this year, it'd be even worse. Um, the public's done pretty well, but you know, it's weird. I've just been on some of the anti-public games that, that haven't hit, but several of them have, um, although the last couple of weeks haven't been very good. All right, uh, let's start with tonight. Tulsa's laying 11 against Navy. Why? I have no idea. Navy's played Cincinnati and SMU really tough um, in two of the last three weeks. Last week they lost to Cincinnati by seven. You know, they lost to SMU by seven. Cincinnati's the number two team in America. SMU's ranked and undefeated. Navy's been a covering machine. I think they've covered four out of their last five. Uh, the 11's a lot of points to be laying a Navy team right now that the public's actually going to back tonight. So I'll take Tulsa tonight and lay the 11. Let's go to uh, tomorrow's college slate. Really good college football slate. Um, Maryland, by the way, plays Indiana uh, tomorrow. Um, and the Terps are now six-point favorites over Indiana. That line opened up at like three-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, and they're now you know, a five-and-a-half, six-point favorite at home. Uh, this is the one that the Terps need. This is the one that Mike Loxley really needs. Uh, because if they don't get this one, it's going to be very difficult for them to get to bowl eligibility. Um, the Terps have a brutal schedule. Uh, the rest of the way. They play Penn State next week, followed by Michigan State, Michigan. And then they end at Rutgers. To get to bowl eligibility, they need two more wins. They have Indiana, and then they close at Rutgers. Rutgers isn't terrible, and Indiana isn't terrible either. Neither one of these games is a, you know a lock to win to get to six wins. Now, could Penn State come in here reeling, um, and they could have a shot at them? Michigan State, I don't know, Michigan... Um, this is kind of must win for the Terps if they're going to make a bowl uh, run this year, um, especially after the 4-0 start. They've had three hideous losses in a row, and Indiana um, also has uh, you know struggled a little bit this year. They're two and five, and they've gotten um, they got blown out by Ohio State like Maryland did last week. They had a chance against Michigan State, the tenth ranked tenth ranked team in the country. Um, but they've lost, you know, to Cincinnati, the number two team in the country this year. By the way, that game, which came in week three, was a game in which there was a terrible targeting penalty that turned the whole game when Indiana was up 14 nothing on Cincinnati. Uh, but anyway, um, hoping for the Terps tomorrow, 12 noon kick, uh, Big Ten Network, also on the Team 980. Um, would be nice to see the Terps uh, get back on the winning track tomorrow. I don't have a good feel for that game at all. Back to the smell test. Back to the smell test. Navy, to, uh, uh, t- excuse me, Tulsa tonight minus the 11. Tomorrow, Michigan is laying four at Michigan State. This is one of the big matchups of the day. Number six against number seven. Both teams undefeated. I don't know why Michigan's laying four in this game in East Lansing. I don't know why that is because they were only a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Nebraska a few weeks ago. They were a two-point underdog against Wisconsin recently. And they're laying four at Michigan State. The public is backing Michigan State. I'll take Michigan and lay the four. Uh, next up, Wisconsin all of a sudden is playing better football. You know, I, I had them a couple of times in ugly fashion. I gave them out, you know, uh, in their game against Michigan when they were favored on the road. Uh, I'm sorry, when they're favored at home against Michigan, who was undefeated, and they got blown out. 
Um, and uh, and I liked them also earlier in the year, if you recall, against Notre Dame when they were laying a big number against Notre Dame, and they lost big. Um, they are not a good offensive team, but they are a really good defensive team, and they've won three games in a row. They beat Purdue last week. Uh, Purdue had just upset Iowa the previous week. Now it's Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, the game is in Madison. Wisconsin's laying three and a half against still the number 10 team in the country uh, who's had a two-week layoff. I just think that the public thinks Iowa's much better than Wisconsin, and they're betting the underdog. I'm going to give you the favorite, minus three and a half, Wisconsin. Nebraska's laying seven and a half to Purdue. That's a big number. Um, it's also with the hook. Uh, it's got people playing the dog. God, I'm giving out favorites. Uh, this week, Tulsa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and now Nebraska minus seven and a half. I do like one dog uh, tomorrow, and that would be Cal um, playing Oregon State. You know, Cal's been kind of feisty here recently. Um, I did I give him out against Washington? Uh, I, I mean, I mean against um, Oregon. I know I played him against Oregon. I forget if they were a smell test pick or not. Um, Cal beat uh, Cal. Uh, Beat Colorado last week easily. Lost at the very end of the game against Oregon. Um, they're playing better. They're playing an Oregon State team uh, at home. Uh, Cal's at home uh, in Berkeley. An Oregon State team that blew out Utah last week. Didn't blow them out, but won 42-34. Uh, that uh, have won now uh, five of their last six and are sitting there with a really good season going at five and two the line is one and a half it reeks I'll take Cal plus the one and a half at home let's go to Sunday how are the Colts a two-point favorite over Tennessee after Tennessee's gone back-to-back wins over Buffalo and the Kansas City Chiefs Um, I know the Chiefs are reeling a little bit you know why because I think Indy's one of those teams that Vegas and the odds makers and the sharp betters believe is much better than their three and four record would indicate. Still, Tennessee beat Buffalo. They beat Kansas City. You know, they have been on a roll. They're now be con- being considered a Super Bowl favorite, and they are a two point underdog uh, on the road against the Colts. I will take the Colts and lay the two. Uh, another favorite uh, this week. Not good. Um, I don't know why Atlanta's only laying three to the Panthers. Uh, The Panthers really have struggled on offense. They're a good defensive team, but Atlanta's been playing better. They're offensively very good. Kyle Pitts really coming into his own. I think that line should be four or five. It's three. The public's really backing Atlanta. I'll take the Panthers plus uh, the three on Sunday. The Dolphins are getting 14 at Buffalo. This is the biggest – actually, the biggest anti-public play of the weekend are the Jets – getting 10.5 at home against the Bengals with Mike White starting at quarterback. But there's lots of sharp money on Cincinnati as well, which is why I stayed off that. Um, Buffalo is the second biggest public play of the weekend, laying 14 against Miami. Uh, There is equal sharp money on this game, both sides. I'm going to back Miami plus the 14 as a smell test pick. Jacksonville is getting a short number at Seattle. At least the public believes so. Uh, I'll take Jacksonville plus the three and a half. Uh, I also will likely have the Giants on Monday night plus nine and a half 
or plus 10 against the Chiefs at Arrowhead where everybody is going to be thinking that the Chiefs have to win this game to get back on track. I think the Giants are better than people think. I really do. Um, They beat Carolina last week. They've had a lot of injuries. They beat Carolina with so many offensive players missing. And they're going to have offensive players missing from the Monday night game as well. But I think there's something about this Giant team that is going to make them uh, a capable underdog the rest of the way. Now, if they continue to have all of these players out and they're not getting them back, well, the season could completely unravel. Um, but there, I, the, that Dallas game, it was a 10-10 game when they started losing people like Barkley and Galladay, uh, et cetera. Um, there's something about them I think that is feisty. I think they're better than people think on defense at times, and I know they've given up a bunch of points here recently. Um, but I like um, – I think I'm going to like the Giants, but more on that on Monday. Uh, they've got a brutal schedule, though. I mean, Chiefs, Raiders, Buccaneers are their next three games. So I'm not predicting they'll get back into a playoff race. But I am predicting that as a, as a dog and a big dog, they're going to be a decent play at times the rest of the year. All right, uh, there's your smell test. Recapping, Tulsa tonight minus 11, Michigan minus 4, Wisconsin minus 3.5, Nebraska minus 7.5, Cal plus 1.5, and And then Sunday, the Colts, Panthers, Dolphins, Jags, and more likely than not, uh, and I'll confirm this on Monday, it's not official now, the Giants plus 9.5 or 10 or whatever it is when we get there. All right, when we come back, Chris Miller will be our guest. Just a reminder, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, too, wherever you can. Um, Five stars would be great, and a quick one- to two-sentence review would really help as well. Talk a little bit of Wizards with Chris Miller, and then Mark Rippon will be our guest on the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To Kuzma underneath, Kuzma tied up, gets it back, puts it off the glass, and that's four Wizards with 20 or more points. You can tell on Kuzma's face. The Wizards are four and one. They are four and one after a 122 to 111 win last night over the Atlanta Hawks. 
a game that they played without Spencer Dinwiddie and without Daniel Gafford. Chris Miller, who has covered the team forever because he's now an old guy, as we were talking about before we started, (laughs) before we hit the record button. Chris Miller, of course, has covered the Wizards for NBC Sports Washington and been a big part of the Wizards broadcast now for years. He joins me here on the podcast. So I'm just going to start with a big picture question. Do you think they're a good team? I do. I, I, I normally wait, Kevin, you know, 20 games before I make some kind of overarching statement. But this next man up mentality that they have been preaching, uh, it, it's worked. It's working. And the way that they won against the Atlanta Hawks, I, I, I didn't think they were going to win. I really didn't. I, I was hoping they could be competitive because uh, I am really bullish on the Atlanta Hawks. I think they're probably the third best team in the East, in my opinion. And for them to win without Gaff and win without Dinwiddie, and even Beal afterwards is still not playing at the level he, he wants to play at, but they're finding ways to get it done. And this Montrez Harrell guy, Kevin, I said it before the season started, he was going to end up being a fan favorite. That crowd last night, they loved them some Trez. Well, when they made the trade, um, and you know, there was a lot of discussion about the various players that were coming back. He's always been one of my favorite players, so I talked a lot about him as yep. well. Not to break, uh, you know, each other's arms, patting ourselves on the back, but I just loved him. You know, during that one Clippers postseason and that one Clippers season, he's just like like Westbrook. You know, different players. There, there are very few players, if any, that try harder than Harrell. He's just a relentless, high-motor, high-energy guy who, by the way, is also just relentless around the rim on both ends. Um, and last night, you know, 34 minutes following a 38-minute night, 25 points, 13 rebounds. I mean, this guy, I, I, by the way, I would, I would guess, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, other than people like you and I who are geniuses and knew how great he would be, <laughs> That so far, you know, his season where he's averaging 19 and and close to 10 is a surprise to a lot of people. I, I'm sure the non-league pass watching, you know, Minnesota and Utah on a Tuesday night probably wouldn't know this. But, yeah, you know. The two smartest guys in the room saw this, (laughs) and he is amazing. And, you know, after the game, I was talking to him in the hallway. Him and Beal did their press conference together. By the way, Kevin, must see TV. These two at the podium together after games is hilarious already. Right. But he was still wired up. He was still ready to go out and play, and he got popped in the mouth at the the end of the game last night. Yeah. And I was like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I got popped in the mouth. I'm all right. I mean, he, it was such a, a kind of a laissez-faire attitude about, you know, getting hit pretty hard. Uh, he spent time on the bike. I'm going to tell you about his energy level. So he plays last night, Kevin, and when he is out, he goes and gets on the bike. So he's he's doing Peloton while he's waiting to get back into the game and playing at a high level. This guy's just a different dude. Like you said, with Westbrook, there are very few guys in the league where you see just this ultra energy every time they're out on the floor. I don't care if they make a mistake. They make a hard mistake. And it's infectious because what you're going to start seeing is Brad is going to have to start playing ultra at that level because Montrez is the type of guy, he'll, he'll
he'll say something to Brad. He's already told me. He's like, I don't mind being the bad cop. I don't mind having those uncomfortable conversations with my teammates because it comes from a place of caring. You know, you mentioned Brad, um, and I want to talk about some of the other players because many people that are listening to this right now, they probably have heard that the Wizards are 4-1, but they probably couldn't name more than two or three players on the team right now. So I do want to get to the roster and the rotation here in a moment and see if you think this is going to be it for the duration. But Brad's off to a tough, a tough start. Now, he had a nice night last night, you know, 27-8-8, eight eight, but shooting-wise – He's now 5 of 29 from behind the arc in four games. He didn't play in that Pacers game uh, after the opening night win over Toronto. Um, I, you know, he's gone through these stretches before, right, Chris? Like, we've yep. had some yep. stretches where he's been, like, not able to find, you know, the ocean from a boat, especially from behind the arc. And he's going through one of those stretches right now. I remember 2019-2020 start of the season. We were in Dallas. Uh, opening night, he had a tough shooting night. He ended up fouling out because Lucas started, you know, really getting physical with him, and he wanted to get physical back. And I remember that stretch of games, first four or five games, uh, you know, he was having a really hard time finding the basket. And then after the All-Star break, he exploded. You remember that season, Kevin? That was the first of consecutive 30-point-per-game yeah. averages that he has had. So we've seen this before from him, shooting. Um, struggling a little bit. But what he's doing now, and I, I made sure I told him this last night uh, after the game, I said, you're finding ways to impact the game without scoring. And what I mean by that, in Boston, he had double-digit rebounds. Yep. Towards the end of the game, he started guarding Tatum. Last night, the eight assists, eight rebounds. You're fi- Now you have teammates, you know, and the depth, of your teammates where you don't have to go out and score 30. And this is why in the preseason I said, if Brad brings his scoring down to 25 or 27 a game with this kind of roster around him, this team can still have a chance to do something. I don't know if they can go have a season, Kevin. You know you know how you get when, when your Washington football team has a chance <laughs> to have a season. Right. I don't know if it's that, but I think they could be a good team and compete every night, and you're seeing it through five games. Yeah, the one thing, like, you know, you and I have had so many conversations over the years, and, you know, you know Brad really well. Um, I love the the player he has worked himself into being. He is an elite NBA scorer. There is no doubt about it. Um, He does other things that really help a team. And, by the way, he's done it the last two years with the entirety of the other team focused on stopping him, um, as we know. I just can't stand the casual turnovers from Brad. You know, we saw him, the the Boston game, we saw it in the Brooklyn game. The one thing that, you know, in in last night he took care of the basketball, but there are nights where he has two to three uh, turnovers, Chris, that are totally unforced. And those are two or three, two or three possessions that hurt. And the thing is, is when you are a front court, uh, when you are a backcourt player, you know, when you're a guard and you've got the ball and you turn it over on the perimeter, it's usually going to end up in points on the other end. That's the one thing. Does anybody ever say to Brad, God, just be a little bit more protective of the ball more often? I, mean, I think he knows it. 
I think what happens. Do you agree with me or not? Kind of, Do you agree with me? Uh, there are, there, there, I think there are some loose turnovers there. Absolutely. You think and, I'm being too harsh on that? Well, of course, you're Coach Sheehan. But I mean, come on, <laughs> you, 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 I get, I get why you want him to cut those down because what that does is, from a statistical standpoint, you're cutting down the opponent's fast break point. Because, like you said, there's no. There's no defense for that. Everybody else is on the other side of the floor when you make those turnovers. Right. So I, I agree with that. But what I think he's doing now is, you know, I would say probably the first seven years of his career, he wasn't a pri- he wasn't the primary ball handler. That's right. And I can remember the first two years, Kevin, you really didn't want him dribbling the ball. I did. I mean, that's not an insult. That was. He was he came into the league as a catch and shoot guy that was an elite shooter, you know, coming out of college, coming out of Chaminade in high school, and you had a, a dynamic point guard that was controlling that. But I think over the years he's gotten better in terms of ball handling and his isolation game. Kevin, you saw it last uh, night. I agree. I mean, listen, Bogdanovich, stop it, right? He he, he tried and he, he got to talking and hurt her. I know your boy Herder, he got to talking too, and, and Brad made sure, okay, let me show you my isolation step-back game, which is unguardable. Uh, but, yeah, there, there are a couple of loose turnovers. I mean, it's not Westbrook turnovers, but I'm no, sure no, no, he no, wants to clean no. it up. Yeah, and, and you're right. Like, I, I think one and, – and I think he has – like I said, I think he has worked so hard to develop himself into not just a catch-and-shoot guy – um, not just you know a one hard dribble step back mid range guy. He has gotten a, to he's he's worked on his ball handling. He's a better ball handler. He had a very loose and exposed handle as a younger player. Um, but to your point, and it's the right right one in terms of why his turnovers have increased. He didn't handle the ball as much. John did. Um, and he's had to handle it a lot more with, by the way, a defense focused on him uh, much more with right. double teams, et cetera. I just think there are occasions where I think there's a possession where Brad just kind of forgets what's going on in the game, one or two of them a game. Let's talk about the rest of the team. Um, so who's other than Montrez Harrell um, in terms of the new players, who's impressed you the most after Harrell, the new guys? Um, I, I want to say Kuz, but I'll get to him in a moment. I think it's KCP. Me too. Davies Caldwell Pope. Yep. And here's why. I've said this the last couple of you know pre and post game shows. Uh, you could tell early on he was sacrificing his offense for his defense. He he understood. Hey, if we're going to get off to a good start, let me get the opposing team's best player, perimeter wise, and and let me lock in that way because he can impact the game that way, and then I can always find my offense. So in Brooklyn, he scored 11 points, but the Wizards actually went to him first two possessions. He got a three, he got a layup, he had five, like right away. And then that kind of opened up the offense a little bit. But for him, he's impressed me so much because he has taken kind of a step back offensively, let me lock in on the defensive end to help the team. And then last night, I thought he was really good. And as he told me after the game, you know, when you don't have DG, you don't have Gaffer, you don't have Spence, you know, everyone else has to kind of level up, and because he's an NBA champion, he knows how to do that, and that's the reason why you had four players in the starting lineup score over 20. 
Yeah, I like him too, and man, he's got the stroke going right now. Um, it is a confident yeah. stroke. It is a solid stroke, and I feel like every time, you know, he's open and he shoots it, it's going in. It's one. It's one of those feelings. So, what is your take so far on Kuzma? Who, to be honest with you, before this season started, I didn't know what to expect. Me either. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised in one aspect of his game. He's really got on the backboard. You know, he has really rebounded well, uh, and he's blended into the offense. I don't see him jacking up shots. I see him kind of finding his rhythm through the game. Uh, you know, the Wizards have always – they've never had a problem scoring points, but there's always been this question of who could be the third scorer, right? We always knew it was John and Brad, or it was Brad and Russ. But I think now the Wizards have, again, five games in, Kevin. Talk to me in 15 games. But – I think Kuz can be a legitimate third option every night with Spence, with Brad. Obviously, when Rui comes back, uh, Ben Kuz goes to the three. Now you got a six ten wing guy that that that's guarding you know some of the better wing guys in this league, and that to me is the best part of this offense so far is seeing balance. You know, even Brad said it. I'm not scoring. I'm not playing the way. I should be playing right now, but we're winning. And that ultimately is what it's all about. Is it possible that the addition of Spencer Dinwiddie in the backcourt with Bradley Beal, that in terms of winning games, and I'm talking about winning important games when we get to you know April and May, if they're playing then, that this will give them the best chance backcourt-wise that they've ever had in games when they slow down in the postseason? You know, I'm all. I was a sucker for that Wall Beal team. 14, I know, me 15. too. Me too. I was a. I'm, a, I'm still a mark for that team. So I, I, I don't. If John didn't break his hand, they would have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I they believe would have beat, it they would have beat day, Atlanta. Yeah, they would have beat Atlanta. Um, so I, I want to wait because Spence is really good. Um, but John had this way of just kind of just taking the game over with, with dynamic, elite-level speed and finding Gortat and Nene and Brad and Trevor. and you know. So I, I want to hold off on that. But I think what the Wizards do have, which will make teams have pause, is you don't know who's bringing the ball up now, Kevin. Before, you knew it was John. Maybe we wall up on him and see what happens. Now, Spence brings the ball up. Brad can facilitate offense. Um, they've got more shooting out there. Uh, I haven't talked about Kispert or Bertan yet, but there is a set that they run, Kevin, that I, it's, it's my favorite offensive play that they have right now. And it's a pin down for Gortat, but Kispert's on the same strong side. So you got to make a decision. Do you let... Bertans just shoot from 30 feet or do you blitz him and then he swings it to Kispert and then Kispert knocks it down I've seen that a couple of times I'm like that is next level play calling using the personnel that you have so they're more diverse now but I want to wait because the 14-15 team the 16-17 team that lost to Boston in game seven uh those were some dynamic teams that played physical and had that rim-to-rim 
blow by point guard with with John. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I mean I think um, I mean I, I I think that my love for that backcourt and my hope when it was young and they were playing Chicago and they were playing Indiana and they were playing Toronto and Atlanta the next year and they were playing Atlanta and Boston the following year that it was going to be like a 10-year run of always being in playoff games and you know winning series and making maybe a run to the Eastern Conference Finals never thought it was a championship you know quality team But, but um I loved watching those games and I always felt though that the one thing about those teams is they were really reliant on, you know, a a pace, you know, the, uh, a, a real yeah. fast pace to the game. They had to run to be successful. And I'm wondering if this group maybe is a little bit different. Um, we'll see. You know, it's, it's, the ulti- it's the ultimate what if, right? I, I, you know, I still talk to John this day and we just talk about, you know, w- what if, what if, you know, he didn't break his hand? What if, you know, they they found that what if Paul Pierce was in his prime? Because I always said this, Kevin, about Wall and Beal. As dynamic as they were, they needed a vet. They needed like a superstar ten year vet that could have shouldered really kind of the burden of everything else and kind of let those two kids grow. That's why I they should have never gotten rid of Ariza. Yeah. Let's see. Ultimate what if, Kevin. They should you know the 2.0 Ariza was 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 okay, but yeah, that that Ariza team with Gortat, Nene, Al Harrington, Andre Miller. I mean, it was a veteran laden team, but they still needed they needed a a, a killer. Yeah, no, you're a right. A guy that had been in the league yeah. for a long time that was established. That you know, you know, obviously the the KD to DC stuff was cute. Right, it was like, oh wow, what would that have been? But I mean, we couldn't even get a meeting. But that's the kind of guy that if Wall and Beal had that, um, it would have, it, it would have, it would have made them more than just a second round team. And while I enjoyed the second round runs, I mean, those were cool. There was this other level I thought those two kids could have took this team. Yeah, and I guess you know, for a moment there was brief hope that's you know not not veteran wise, but that Otto Porter could step up and be a, a big time third you know um, contributor. Got Al Harrington throwing that name out. You're the best. I mean, I'd throw <laughs> Kevin Serafin back at you, but um, there you, you know, go. <laughs> uh, but um, so the the thing that we haven't talked about is here they are four and one. And the player that I think we've all thought, at least for the last year, given the progress that he made last year, could be, you know, a potential, you know, star in this league, hasn't even played a game yet in Rui Hachimura. First of all, where is he in his trek back to being uh, to playing? And then at this point, he's obviously going to fit in because he's great. But um, that's just another weapon that I don't think I think everybody's kind of forgotten in these first five games. Yeah, so he's in town. Uh, he's working individually on his game. Uh, he's in the weight room. Uh, he's doing all of that according to head coach Wes Unsell. Uh, but there's really no update besides that. Uh, when he comes back, no one knows. Uh, but he is a plug-and-play guy, like you said, Kevin. Like when he comes back, uh, I think it's going to take a, a couple games to kind of get his, you know, his legs under him. I don't know if he's going to be in the starting lineup when he comes back. I think it would be judicious on their part just to let him come off the bench and kind of find his way but when he is ready to get activated into the starting lineup 
uh, I see a lineup of Dinwiddie, Beal, Kuzma, Rui, and Gaff. And, oh, by the way, Thomas Bryant will be back in December. So there's, there's some help on the way. These are good problems to have. But uh, Coach Unto's going to have to figure out, like, rotations. If, if everyone can stay healthy and then those two guys kind of come back, uh, this, this could be a, a very interesting run down the stretch. And also something to keep in mind, too, Kevin, when you get to the trade deadline, here's something that we haven't said for a while. The Wizards have tradable assets. They might not be good here, but they could be good somewhere else. And maybe you can get into the sweepstakes of getting maybe a player that wants to you know, leave their current situation and could fit in here. That's the beauty of what Tommy has done. Give him a lot of credit. Uh, you now have players on the back end of that bench that has value. What is the issue with Rui Hachimura? Can you say? Uh, out of respect for his private life, I would want to just keep it okay. there. Um, yeah, fair, fair I, enough. I, I, I don't just, want to get you in I'm trouble. That, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah I, I'm that kind of guy where I just when somebody tells me it, it, it's personal, I, I, I just leave. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting because there's been no reporting on it, and I'm just I'm curious as to what, what it's been. Uh, a last question. Um, it's only five games, so they're going to go ahead and play the other 77. How many wins and where do they finish in the East right now? Yeah, I'm not going to hold you to it, but it's been such an encouraging start. I won't hold you to it. You I promise you won't hold me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, five games in, the way they're playing, they're defending, they're rebounding, they can score, uh, they've got balance. I thought play in. Right now I'm thinking – Six to eight. Okay. So what is that? 42, 40 to 43 wins? 42 to 43. I like that. What did you, what did your friends in the desert have them at? 34 and a half? I don't know where it is right now. Um, it was 34 and a half before the season started, yeah. Before the season started. Okay. Yeah. I, I'd say six to seven right now. Well, look. let's. See. I got to see them play in the division first. I want to see them get their full run around the division. Because besides Orlando, but as it was pointed out to me last night, we can't beat Orlando to save our life the last two years. This division is pretty good, Kevin. Well, I mean, you know, just the the East in general right now. Your your top four teams are the Knicks, Hornets, Bulls, and Wizards. I mean, division wise, the say it again. <laughs> I know it's it's crazy, but it's it's an exciting start, and I. I'm happy for Tommy, and I'm happy for for all of them. And uh, um, it would be great to see them continue to be a competitive team. I thought last night was a game they lose. Um, I agree with you. And not only did they win the game, uh, you know, minus two players, they won it impressively over you know one of the legitimate Eastern Conference contenders. Um, even though Trey Young complained a lot about missed calls last night. Uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, it's good to hear your voice. Oh, I hope you're well. Can I eat my bacon and eggs now? Yeah, you can go back to your corner bakery bacon and egg sandwich. <laughs> uh, hopefully you've got some good coffee with that, too. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, there Chris. Go. Good talking to you, my friend. No problem. Chris Miller, everybody. Um, one of my favorite people in local D.C. sports media. God, the Wizards are 4-1. and one. I know a lot of you don't care, um, and certainly not during football season. 
Uh, but this is a surprising start. I had no idea what these pieces would look like together. I was a Dinwiddie fan and I was a Harrell fan. Didn't know anything really. Didn't have a strong feeling about Kuzma. Didn't have a real strong feeling about Caldwell Pope. Um, didn't really think that Kispert was necessarily the guy that I wanted, but the guy that I really wanted was gone, and that was Duarte, who, by the way, is off to a really good start in Indiana uh, as a rookie uh, player. Um, I think he's averaging like 16 or 18 a game uh, already as a rookie. Um, but uh, I, I, this team is – they've got pieces. You know, they got some talent, and maybe the most critical piece – other than Bradley Beal, hasn't even played in a game yet, and that would be Rui Hachimura. All right, up next, Mark Rippon will be my guest. Looking forward to my conversation next with Rip, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Third and 10, Miner is replaced by Irvin's. He's alone running back. Rippin is back to throw it. Going deep. Touchdown, Redskins Clark. From 30 yards away, it's Rippin. champion does Pat one team starts to take it away from you you go back and get it that from Super Bowl 26 in Minneapolis St. Paul uh, back in January of 1992 Rippin to Clark 30 yards for a touchdown gave Washington a 31-10 lead they would go on to win Super Bowl 26 37 to 24 and the MVP of Super Bowl 26 was Mark Rippin All right, I'm excited about this because it's been a while since we've had Mark Rippon on the show, but Rip joins us right now. And, you know, I was thinking about you um, because I've been doing this thing on the show every week, you know, remembering 30 years ago and going week by week, game (laughs) by game, because let's face it, Rip, I mean, it's been basically 30 years since we've had any you know, real pleasure as as fans of this team, which I'm going to ask you about here in a little bit. But I wanted to start, you know, 30 years ago this week was one of the more significant regular season games of your career and of the franchise at that point. You guys had not beaten the Giants in three years. You had lost to them six straight times. You were undefeated heading to the Meadowlands. Literally, it was 30 years ago, October 27th. And it was a Sunday night game, and the hype for that game was unbelievable. They were the defending champions, and they were, you know, they were only four and three at the time. But what do you remember about that particular game? That was one of the biggest hyped regular season games you ever played in. Uh, sprint bomb. That's what I remember from that game. <laughs> we, uh, I put it into play specifically to uh, combat their kind of a. Uh, cover two, cover four look that they had, and basically what it was was kind of a rollout uh, with uh, Art Monk, three, three wide receiver set that we had uh, put in specifically that week. We ended up using it again against Detroit in uh, RFK 
for the playoff game, but basically it was a, it was a uh, two-by-one set where Art Monk was on the Donnie Warren side as a single receiver. Uh, Gary Clark and, and Ricky Sanders was in the slot on the weak side. We rolled to the strong side, and uh, Ricky kind of ran about a 15-yard dig route, which attracted uh, the, uh, free, the free safety. And uh, basically, Gary kind of ran a little stutter step post route um, against Everson Walls. And we ran it early on in the game, uh, I recall, and, and threw it uh, to Gary, and he had Everson beat. Uh, this was going to our right, throwing back to the left. And, um, you know, like a lot of times things happen, especially in. Well, he, in dropped, the he dropped it, is what happened. With the wind. With the wind. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and everything else. But he flat out dropped it. He said that's what he said later on. After the game, he got kind of the monkey off his back because because we came back uh, in the fourth quarter with that same play, but this time rolling to the left, throwing back to the right, and and we got it over the top of Everson again, and Gary made the catch and kind of sent the deal. I think 17-14 was the final, but that was huge because we we all knew going into that what the Giants had done to us um, the previous three years and, and the, kind of the, the upper hand that they had on us. So uh, we knew specifically that this was – a special team. In order to be that special team, uh, this is one of the uh, the organizations and groups we had to beat, and and to play up, do what we did up in the Meadowlands, and our defense play as well as they did, and uh, you know was was pretty pretty special. Yeah, I, the game is actually available on YouTube. If anybody want to wants to watch it, just Google 1991 Giants versus Redskins. They played twice that year, and you got them back at RFK late in the year as well. Um, but that game was such a hyped game, Sunday night game. And what you're des- the play that you're describing gave you guys the lead early in the fourth quarter. And you really buy that. I mean, Rip, you threw a great deep ball. I mean, nobody needs to tell you that. But that one was perfection. I mean, you dropped it right in his hands. He never broke stride. And you guys had the lead. But that was after a first half in which they dominated you guys. And you were down 13 nothing. came back, won that game. 17-13 was the final score, and you guys were 8-0. And there's a quote I found from you um, from the Washington Post where, you know, you essentially said, we, you know, we've really put significant distance now between us and them in the division, and we got the monkey off our back, which was, you know, beating them for the first time. And for you, the first time that you had beaten them. Absolutely, I don't ever recall saying that, but that sounds pretty much what kind of what I what I mentioned to you earlier. And uh, yeah, it was it was um, definitely. And, and in order to be able to throw a deep ball, you got to be doing uh, a bunch of other things, uh, Kevin. Too, I think. And one is you got to be able to run the football and get those safeties up there and in uh, in the run defense and, and stopping the run, and then getting opportunities and having three of the best. Uh, I arguably, I think all of them should be in the Hall of Fame. Myself. Uh, but having the posse, Gary, Ricky, and, and Art uh, doing what they did, and uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And they're, you know, the reason for that. But the main reason for the whole thing is, you know, as we all know, or most quarterbacks know, that you're only as good as the guys up front. And that's where we dominated as a football team. You're only as good as the guys up front on offense and defense. Guys are making tackles. Linebackers are doing what they're supposed to do. Safeties are making tackles because of your defensive line. Quarterbacks, receivers, and skill people are doing what they're supposed to do only because the guys up front are, are making making that way for you. We're talking to Mark Rippon. I'm curious from that season, let's exclude the Super Bowl because I'm assuming that's your greatest career moment. 
Is there another moment from your career, it doesn't even have to be 1991, you know, a moment or a throw that you made that really stands out, that you still to this day, you know, you remember and when asked about, you talk about? No, not, not necessarily. I mean, we, we, we loved, loved playing. One of the things we ended up really um, enjoying doing, even though there was, it, was a, it was a physical and brutal game, was playing the Eagles. Because uh, you know, buddy Ryan brought the kitchen sink plus, and we were smart enough on a lot of diff- different down and distances to match kind of what we thought they were going to do, and max protect and have one on one, even though a guy was coming free and, and you take a hit, which we, uh, I, I took a lot of hits, you know, against that team specifically, just because they were in cover zero. Basically, they said we're going to put our guys in a line of scrimmage against your receivers and bring everyone and hopefully get to you before you get it off and. Um, that's, that's where having these guys, these special skill players really work and, and having an idea of what we were doing offensively and, and everyone being on the same page. I mean, Bill Gibbs challenged us each and every week and he was amazed at not only how skilled we were and, and how talented we were, but uh, how smart we were as, as adapting to different, um, you know, uh, motions and shifts and, and uh, the game plan that they put in. And that was, you know, back when the, I think it was a 40-second clock, if I recall. So we had a little bit more time. We had five more seconds to, to do these shifts and, and motions and um, really kind of keep defenses basically standard in what they're doing because of uh, the, you know, extravagant offense that uh, Joe Gibbs gave, gave to us. But you have to have a smart team. And having a smart team is those guys up front. They got to pass. A lot of detail onto each other starts with Jeff Bostick and passing it to, to Rollo and Russ Graham and Schlereth and Jacoby and um, Jim Lachey and Ed Simmons and, uh, you know, I could name the whole group, uh, <laughs> Ray Brown. Um, you know, just a special group of guys and, and very fortunate to have played with them. You know, you mentioned a team. One of my all-time favorite games was the year before, uh, so, you know, 31 years ago. Um, you didn't play in the body bag game. That was a, you know, Jeff Rutledge, uh, you know, Stan Humphreys. Exactly, yes. To beat them in a playoff game in Philadelphia, That I would have to say that was a hard fought. That was a great game, especially to do it after what they did to us that year or the previous year. You're exactly right. It's one of my favorite all-time revenge games because it was only two months earlier or a month and a half earlier that they had carted off all those players and they had you know named and labeled the game the Eagles fans and the Eagles media labeled it the body bag game. And you guys went back to the vet for a wild card round game and absolutely destroyed him. And that was the end of, of Buddy Ryan's career. You know, he ran off the field. He never even looked in Joe's direction. And that was it. And, you know, you were just talking about the smarts. I, I, I When I think about those teams, and it's one of the things that's been so painful about the last, you know, 20 plus years in particular, is there was just something about the organization that you played for and the coaching staff that you played for. You guys, first of all, were first class all the way through. But secondly, I always felt like you guys were going to outsmart the opponent. And you usually did, and you did that day too. And you took it to them also. Well, absolutely. And I think one of the things that Joe Gibbs was very, very adamant about was don't give another team, bulletin board material. Right. Uh, the Buffalo Bills did that to us and laid it on a platter. Their defensive line coach called our, you know, our big fat guys, big fat guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, so that, that game was, you know, Brian Mitchell played the body bag game. It actually played pretty good. Yeah, you know, very former, late, exactly. Uh, yeah, he's a former racing Cajun, made some sprints, rolled out, made some completions, and, you know, it actually played pretty good. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was a special game, and it kind of stamped my approval to the guys that I could win a playoff game, not only win a playoff game, but win on the road in a pretty hostile environment. And um, the following year was just a, a kind of a microcosm uh, of – all of that hard work that you put in coming together and, and the fruition that you have and the and the, the closeness and just as a group. I mean, what we did on and off the field during the season, uh, during the off season, uh, all paid off in that one one special, special year. Yeah, um, it was. I mean, that, that Philly game, the next week wasn't as good, although you had a big day, but you threw some picks at Candlestick. And then, but it set it up, really. You know, that win at Philadelphia really set it up for the following year. And you guys came back and had, you know, for me, the greatest season that I've ever rooted for as a Skins fan. And I think it's one of the great Super well, Bowl teams of all time, if not the best. Well, that's they. That's what they they claim is that uh, that might be yeah. based on point differentiation, yep. uh, domination, the whole nine yards. We we, we cut back the troops in Philadelphia, um, and then we barely lost the game to Dallas at home, which you hate to lose to Dallas anywhere, especially at home. But it was a. I think we lost our our total of our two losses was five points, and and we pulled the reins back in Philly, uh, the 16th game of the season, um, and like you said, that was a that was a special group and. And I do recall leaving my heart in San Francisco <laughs> one too many times. And uh, the year after the Super Bowl was yes. the toughest one. That's where I kind of put the ball on Brian Mitchell's face mask. <laughs> I could have probably got I could have probably gotten ten yards in that one and maybe scored. And um, so yeah, you know, you just uh, you look back at all these games and the memories you have, and not necessarily the you know each play, um, but the guys. You know, I mean, whether it be the Reggie Branches and Terry Orr's that were our special teams geniuses. And one of the things I think now that uh, the NFL has taken away is is the Terry Orr's and the Reggie Branches and the John Brandises and the guys that were special teams players and backup tight ends and and uh, fullbacks and linebackers. And because this, um, you know, after three years, you become a vetted player or vested player, right. and your salary gets too high, and they pretty much get rid of that middle class. And, and you see in, in a lot of teams, uh, suffer from that, special teams-wise, tackling-wise. I mean, tackling in the NFL in general is very poor now, as, as we witness each and every week. It's only because they're doing the right thing, and that's not having tackling in practice, you know, to try to keep the, the brain from swashing around and, and give it a whole week's uh, time to heal. But it, it does make a difference. And uh, one of the things we did was uh, part of uh, Joe Gibbs' DNA is we practice in pads till that Friday were short and shoulder pads and helmets, even on a Friday, because he wanted to get what he called a good click. You know, <laughs> a good cook, sure yeah. That, yeah, a good click, because we want to make sure that those blitzes are coming. The guy just didn't tap him on the shoulder, that he was actually physically there to make sure, you know, we had those things covered, or we threw our hot reads and he had someone coming at you, you know, and you had to make your choices and decisions um, in a very quick manner instead of just kind of walking through, which they do quite a bit now just to get the mental X's and O's in place and then go out and play. We're talking to Mark Rippon. So um, 
you mentioned that next year, which was Joe's last year. Not, nobody knew it at the time. You guys were the defending champions, and you know the season was rocky. And then you got on a roll late. You beat the Cowboys in that crazy, you know, uh, Danny Copeland, you know, recovering the the fumble when Aikman got hit in the end zone at RFK, and and you made the yep. playoffs sort of backdoor because um, you lost the the final regular season game to the Raiders, and then the Packers had a chance with Brett Favre in his first year to make the playoffs, but the Vikings beat them, and then you guys got the Vikings. You crushed them on the road, and that game at Candlestick, which was Joe's final game, you know, coaching before he came back, obviously, in 2004, yep. You, yep. Th- that game also exists. I don't know if you've ever watched any of these things. They they all exist on YouTube, but you, you guys were down in that game 17-3, um, and you started to come back. It was the heart of a champion kind of a thing. And you got hot, and you had a quarterback sneak for a touchdown in the fourth quarter to make it 17-13. to 13. And the audio picks you up. You took the ball, and you spiked it about as hard as you could spike a football and yelled out an F-bomb, which was clear for everybody <laughs> to hear. And you guys had all the momentum, and you were headed to the NFC Championship game if if somehow the ball doesn't slip out of your hand in the mud at Candlestick because Brian Mitchell had a hole that I could have ran through for a touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I – I really, um, you know, think that uh, you're looking back at that uh, season and uh, never to make any excuses because we did not connect on um, a lot of the play or, you know, the big plays that we did the previous year. I had a bicep tendon detach uh, early on in the season, and I played through it, which had some strength issues. It it didn't hurt. It just uh, was something that uh, after the season was over with, we detected and I think that had something to do with the balls being, you know, underthrown or not having the same arm strength that I had the previous year. Um, but still, we managed to win in in Minnesota, and that was that was uh, also I think where I suffered one of my um, probably most memorable NFL memorable concussions. You had a lot of times you got hit and your bell rung, but that one I got kind of to get chipped to the right side of the uh, uh, or, or I scrambled for a first down towards the end of the game where you ended up kicking the winning field goal, but scrambled to the right and kind of slid and got hit late. Now it would be late. Not only would it be late, it would be a, probably a targeting call. But, um, you know, we kind of went down and got back up. It was smart enough to call timeout because we had one timeout left, and there's like, you know, 15 seconds left and, and um, came to the sidelines. And Joe Gibbs says, okay, here we're gonna, here's what we're going to do, Rip. We're going to run trips left, 50 gut. And it's a play 50 gut, as you know, Kevin. Yep. We run 40, 50 gut was kind of a stable play for us. And, Somehow I'm thinking back to 29 and 28 where we were, ran at Washington State. I go, Coach, we don't we don't have that in our playbook. Oh boy, <laughs> <the> sidelines, <laughs> and uh, and he's uh, kind of um, going, Rip. Yeah, okay, Rip, come on, you know you know what you're doing. Bubba, Bubba, is he all right? Bubba looks, Rip, how many fingers? I know he put up two or three. I said five and something, <laughs> but he's just close enough. He's fine. I um, then it, then it kind of clicked. It dawned on me. Oh yeah, what am I thinking? Yeah, we do have 50. Yeah, all I do is kind of open up on the left hand to Ernest Biner, get, you know, two or three yards or maybe even lose two or three yards and get the ball in the left half for Chip to kick and, and kick the winning field goal. And then I remember Bubba telling Chip afterwards, make sure you get him home, okay? You know, uh, but... Uh, that was yeah, in the regular... Okay. That was a regular season game in the Metrodome. 
Oh, was it? I thought it was a playoff. Game. That was the regular. Oh, right. that, that was a regular oh, yeah. season game. Um, in in the Metro. And then you waxed him in the playoffs. And then you waxed him in the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, see there, there. That's where the that's where some of these hits. <laughs> well, you know who you know who one of the defenders for Minnesota was that day was Jack Del Rio. Um, oh, I know, I know. I played I played college against Jack and pros against Jack, college against Ron and pros against Ron. You know, I just I, every time I turned the corner, those guys were, those guys right. were there. Yeah, know? of course, Cal and, so, and USC yeah. and in uh, Washington yeah. State. We're talking to Mark Rippin. So. Look, I I do this whenever I've had you on over the years. We end up doing this probably for too long for some people. So let's talk about the current team. Although it is, it's nostalgia, and it's nostalgia because there isn't anything more recently to talk about. And I'm wondering, does that make you? Because I know you follow the team. Does it make you? You know, how does it make you feel that it's been literally? you know, three decades since this team and this franchise has been, you know, relevant. Well, it kind of makes, it makes me sick to the stomach a little bit just because I know what these, these guys are going through, the players are going through. And I usually, you know, I'm very reserved in my uh, comments about the team this year because I kind of like to wait to see the whole season's done and, and hopefully we put a run together. And so I don't like to start you know, like, like we just, a lot of people do on social media, just attack the coach, the team, the owner, everything else. Let's wait till the dust settles, see what the season has uh, for us. Maybe we can get a run going here, as I always am very optimistic. My glass is usually half full all the time. And, and find a way to you know maybe sneak in the playoffs somehow and, 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 and turn this thing around. There's just so much outside noise going on around this franchise. Uh, it's difficult for these players. And, and I think about the players. Like, I think about the players at Washington State recently here with right. Coach Rolovich and and uh, I, I think about those guys. I think those guys in the locker room, and and I, I, I hear their comments. And collectively, you know, individually, they you know they're they're saying the right things. We need to get better. We need to do this. And collectively, as a group, they're thinking the same thing. And their coach echoes those sentiments and and everything else. And that they do have to kind of keep themselves out of the the media and the and, and, and the press, and because it can be overwhelming and and can very be very difficult. And it's a very scrutinized area. You know, the Washington D.C. area. And, is a, is a tough area, as is New York and Los Angeles, as the markets are, and um, you can't hide from it. And I think, uh, you know, they just need to figure out figure out a way to kind of get this thing turned around somehow and, and, and get it back on track. Well, let I mean, obviously, I, you don't need to, to give us any definitive conclusions at this point, but based on what you've seen, let's start with the quarterback. What do you think of Taylor Heineke? Gosh, I've seen so many good plays, and, and of course we're at the alumni week last week. Right, and it's you were here the for best, yeah. the best. Yeah, the best part of the game, and we're sitting in the tunnel, can't even see it, you know, because they're introducing us at halftime, and and uh, so that whole second quarter into the, you know, they, they shuffle they shuffle us down out of our seats and get us all together, which is great, you know, and I think it's so cool to come out there and wave at the, uh, you know, the old the old Redskin faithful and and, and the new Washington football team faithful and. Um, and my, my point of contention too is with the fans are you know for for the uh, for the owners and everything else and all the NFL and everything the money that's made is on television so if you're at home watching the game on television you're you're thinking I'll show the I'll show Mr. Schneider I'll show the NFL by going home and watching on TV you're actually enhancing it so come to the stadium where the players need you you know that's where it's at and um, you know, it'd be nice if we can get a hot dog under twelve bucks, fifteen bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a <laughs> you know, beer nice under cold, twenty. Nice, um, nice cold beer beverage under twenty bucks. You know, would be great. But yeah. uh, 
other than that, I think just do it where, you know, cheer the team on. Get out there and support these guys because I get to the stadium and i just like, this is so foreign to me to see yeah, more people from other organizations or from the team we're playing at the stadium or not more, but, you know, a good a good um, a majority of, of, of people uh, wearing the other colors. And that never happened at RFK. That thing was filled from, you know, from – four hours before the game till two hours after the game. You know, it's just a great place, great environment. We need to get kind of get that back. And so I don't, I'm not going to be get up here. And I think Taylor Heineke's got some talent, you know. I, I really, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the 17 is a pretty special player. And they got some, you know, running backs that are good. And offensive line that seems to be playing pretty good as a unit, kind of keeping, keeping. We just need to, you know, figure things out. Defensively, we got the, you know, the tools in place. And, Guys that uh, had tremendous years last year are not having their best years, so they know it, they understand it. I don't have to sit here and you know yeah. point out what they what they already know. It's just a matter of doing it and getting it done, and uh, coming together, and staying together, and that's important. And uh, in, a, in a torn torn community, a torn world, basically. And if you want to really look at it, and um, you know, we just want to rip people apart instead of you know, bring people together. And that's sort of all you always hear is that all oh, we need to do this as our leaders of the country and the world. We need to bring people together, yet they're ripping people apart. Um, so if we can do so, I think we're, we're uh, you know, we got a chance to at least salvage a pretty good season, um, make some adjustments and find a way to get back on the winning track. And then when it's all said and done, then we can decide what we want to do as an organization and uh, as a former <laughs> player. I'm not gonna have, I'm not gonna, as a former player, I'm not going to have any say in it. Neither will the fans have any say in it, you yeah. know? But what they do on the field will have a lot of say in is if you're going to stick around and be a Washington football team or uh, Washington whatever Red it is. or Washington, yeah, whatever it yeah. is, you know. Which I, another I, funny thing in my mind, you know, is why, why aren't we named something? <laughs> right. I, I can yeah. totally appreciate, you know, your perspective. And I think one of the things that's true is that those that are still into the team – um, they want the players to do well. You know, they want the coaches Absolutely. to do well. But Absolutely. but for two decades, um, it's been it's been really insulting. Um, you know, the way this team's been owned and the way fans have been treated. And I think what's happened, Mark, for a lot of us, and I'd put myself into this category to, to a certain degree. You know, a diehard that never missed going to game, who who was you know part of a family with season tickets and is it just after over and over again, it's always constantly something else. Um, and then you put that on top of the losing um, for so long, it kind of wears you out, you know, and um, it yeah. sort of sucked the yeah. life out of it. And I, you know, you mentioned the, the crowds are the lowest in the league um, and those that are showing up, you know, 20 to 30%, sometimes more are opponents fans. Uh, they'll always make money in the NFL because of the TV deals, but the TV ratings here locally are as low as they've ever been. So people here locally aren't even watching the games like they used to. And I think that the only way this changes is is with an ownership change. I think a lot of those people would come back with an ownership change. I don't know if it'll happen otherwise. Now, you know, if you find a great quarterback that somehow, you know, you, you get Joe Burrow <laughs> in two years and all of a sudden they start winning bit big, um, you know, people would come back to a certain degree. But I think that's the problem is it's it's not hey, – Maybe yeah. they need to get – 
maybe they need to get Brett Rippon to come there in D.C. There you go. <laughs> Why not? Right? Why not? That'd be, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever? That'd be kind of cool. I and mean, I'm just thinking outside the box a little bit. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I, <laughs> Another you know, Rippon. Really, I, I really can't. I really can't. They play him Sunday, uh, you know. They play Denver Sunday. Know, you know, know that, right? Yeah. I know. I know. I really can't speak to uh, um, uh, to you because and, and, I'm being out here on the West Coast about Mr. Schneider. I don't. I don't. I, I know what I read, so I don't, my my judgments on him are, sure. are only what I read, and I should never go by that. Uh, my interactions with him, uh, the few times that I've ever met him, which think about that. You know, when you're you're uh, uh, you won Super Bowls and you don't have many actions with the owner. Not saying that he should he owes us anything, but um, I just uh, don't have any anything really to, much to say about him as a as a human being because I don't know him that well. Right. Sure. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be difficult for me to to start blasting him when I, I don't have the, the ammo to do so. Of so. course. This was so much fun, Rip. It always is. Uh, it's great to hear your voice. I hope everybody uh, in the family is well. I hope you're well. Uh, and next time you're in town, hopefully uh, we get a chance to see each other. On a sunny day, I want to play that Columbia Country Club with you. Guys. <laughs> you, you, you are in. You are in. But you got to let me. But, but you, you, you have to do it because you typically get a bunch of offers when you're back in town. So I'll hold you to it. I know. We'll get. I love Columbia. We'll get you and I and Kornheiser out there to play. And <laughs> see, what, see what happens. Maybe, I play. Maybe I play with him. I play with him often, and he is a he's a yeah. nineteen that plays can can oh, absolutely he's a, he's a play to a fourteen. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, a, he's a crook. <laughs> exactly. Uh, great to hear your voice. Thank you for doing this. All right. Thanks, Kevin. You bet. That was an absolute pleasure uh, for me. It always is when I'm lucky enough to have Rip on the radio show or the podcast. He's just such a great guy, so it was great catching up with him. You know, 30 years ago, if you had told me, and I was at the Metrodome for that Super Bowl, for Super Bowl twenty-six, I was there actually with the woman who would become my wife. We were dating at the time. She grew up in Minneapolis. She lived there until she was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, my brother, my younger brother, was with us at that Super Bowl in Minneapolis. It was actually a great week. It was cold, um, but most of you know I love cold weather and I love snow, and it snowed the entire uh, week and weekend when we were there. Uh, but if you had told any of us that were there or any of, you, any of you that watched the game and were very well aware of what they were 30 years ago, that they're not going to play in another Super Bowl over the next 30 years, but beyond that, they're not even going to sniff a Super Bowl in the next 30 years. Beyond that, they're only going to win three more playoff games over the next 30 years. Uh, obviously, we would have told whoever you know suggested that to us that they were completely insane. Uh, but here we are, 30 years later. By the way, so uh, at the beginning of the Rippin interview, I played a highlight from Super Bowl Twenty Six. I found that on YouTube. The whole game is there on YouTube called by Summerall and Madden. At the very end of the broadcast, uh, as the clock is winding down, Summerall and Madden calling the 37-24 Super Bowl 26 win uh, over Buffalo. I want you to listen to this exchange as they get a tight shot of Joe Gibbs smiling. And the two of them talk about Joe Gibbs, Summerall and Madden. And I want you to listen to what they said. Joe Gibbs hey, is finally smiling. You know, he's been more relaxed and enjoyed 
this Super Bowl more than any time I've seen him. Somebody asked him what he wanted to do, and he said he wanted to run in a marathon and build a house, win a Super Bowl. What else did he say? I don't know. You wonder how long that he's going to be in this. Of course, he's a race car enthusiast. You wonder how long he's going to be doing this. Uh, that from Madden. And then Summerall says he's a race car enthusiast. I wonder if they knew. I'd never heard that before. Now, keep in mind, Gibbs did not retire after this Super Bowl. He retired a year later after they were eliminated in the postseason by the 49ers at Candlestick, the game Rippin and I were talking about earlier. But I wonder if Gibbs gave them any sort of hint that he was in the final year or so of his coaching career. You know, those broadcasters get more access to the coaches and key players before games and certainly before Super Bowls. And I wonder if there was a candid conversation between Gibbs, Summerall, and Madden where Gibbs gave maybe Madden, who, by the way, you know, they knew each other a long time, Gibbs and Madden did. I wonder if Gibbs had given Madden a clue Uh, as to what he wanted to do and whether or not he was going to do it sooner rather than later. Again, it didn't happen after that season. It happened a year later. Um, But still, I thought that was interesting there at the end of that Super Bowl. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, Enjoy your football weekend. Enjoy Halloween. Back on Monday.